0: you mm-hmm. me, Lizzie. Welcome to episode eight of my campaign diaries. Uh, thank you for joining me today. We're going to be talking about episode three, part two, Cadence of the Road. Um, Kind of picking up where we left off last time, we still have our friend Steve guest starring as Song Boxwood, the Kenku Bard. And uh, overall, this is one of the rare episodes of Guardians of the Hall that has combat in it. Yay, let's talk about that. So when I have been doing these, I have been re-listening to old episodes. And one thing that I thought was interesting was just, I felt like this combat went really well. And I don't know if I'm a good judge of, like, for, as a DM of deciding when a combat goes well. um, But it, it did go well. Uh, They they fought the bandits. There wasn't really a surprise round. Uh, Josh's character was a little bit separated from them, so he got to come up from the back. And then not everyone was quite bunched up, which wasn't a huge deal because there wasn't, like, anyone in the bandits that had, like, uh, area of effect spells. So it wasn't, like, a perfect lineup. But... Um, The other thing that was nice is the bandits were spaced out very tactically. You know, they're professionals. They've done this before. So, like, none of them were super, super close. So it kind of made it very hard for, like, uh, Steve to do a fairy fire off well. Like, he wasn't able to get all of the bandits. He was just able to get two, which still made a difference. Um, The other thing that was great, I think, about this fight other than I had a good matchup for the number of enemies and then, like, from range to short, was I felt like even though there was a couple times I rolled really bad, the players rolled really bad, it was a good, like, trade-off of, like, hit and miss, hit and miss, and, like... It just it just felt like a fun fight. Like, it, it felt like it wasn't, like, draggy. It felt like it wasn't boring because everyone was missing or just, like, slaughtering through the enemies. Like, usually the bandits could get hit, like, twice before they went down. And when you have, um players who are level three, and they've only got like, one attack, that means the fight goes on a little bit longer. Um, the other funny thing about this fight, which I feel like started a bit of a trend was, uh, Megan kind of kill stealing a little bit because (laughs) when you have a bow and you have such a long range, it's really easy to be able to just snipe a kill, you know, you, you finish them off. And then even if you're really far away, you usually can try to like hit. And, uh, that's what happened. I think twice during this fight, um, happened once to, But I think it happened to both of the twins. I don't ever know if she did it to Rowan. Um, I know Steve, poor Steve, rolled really bad with some of his, you know, things. But it's, it worked. Or no, he didn't roll bad. Uh, I rolled really good. So he, the enemies made the saves. So it was overall, I think... A very decent fight. Uh, a lot of back and forth, a lot of fun banter. I love that, like, when I described the bandit captain as being a muscular woman, like, my husband's immediate response was, hey, do you want to know about the Bandaiya and, like, be cool with us? And she's just like, what the hell's wrong with you? No. <laughs> I think, I think that was more of a moment of Josh trolling me than necessarily, like, an in-character moment for Hans and Franz. I don't know. That's just what it felt like. Um, one thing that I know I feel like was a little frustrating for... I think it was more so Josh afterwards. Or maybe it was... I, I cut it out of the episode, I think. Where uh, Josh kind of was debating with me a tiny bit on like the fact that... like Well, I should have seen the bandits when I went by. And he didn't actually roll like high enough on the perception check with it to do it because they had like a 20 DC. And I think he just rolled under that and they weren't going to attack him solo. They were going to let him pass by and wait for the cart and wait for a better optical thing. And then he came back and then they showed up, but they didn't get a surprise round. And that's to me what is really important. And I gave him a whole action to like get off of his horse and tie it up. So I'm like, I really don't know why, (laughs) like, I don't think that that was unreasonable, but maybe I could guess like, you know, Maybe I should have had it where they could have spotted them earlier before going up to the road. But I I just didn't think he rolled high enough. I don't know. 20's not twenty's 20's a pretty hard DC. But they're professional bandits. You know, they got an operation. That could have been an oversight on my part. It's kind of hard to say. I haven't still done that many combats in Guardians of the Hall. So there's still a bit of a learning curve of, you know, what what was tactically fair, what was not fair, you know. But yeah, overall, I thought the bandit fight went well. I was pretty happy with it, and the players seemed to have fun. And that's what's important. Um, Otherwise, I find it interesting how Steve played it where Song was exhausted um, after casting spells. Um, It's kind of an interesting take on it. Um, But, you know, I think it kind of makes sense where if you're not used to combat and then you experience something like that, you're going to be kind of tired, so, you know tough day for him tough day for a kanku bard so they managed to make it to Meyerfield before uh it gets completely dark so they got like a couple hours of dusk left and basically notice that there's like sign no signs of anything you know anybody out and they heard rumors of ghosts and uh, that gets confirmed (laughs) and one thing i love about this inner this episode is it forces uh the twins characters to go and talk to the priests there because in smaller towns, um, the Meyer empire is polytheistic, but there's kind of a, um, like an all shrine, but usually it's preceded over by somebody from the God most likely to be worshiped in mass in that area. So that would be Elios because Elios is the God of law and order and agriculture. So it just makes, um, sense that, you know, there'd be mostly a shrine to him there and it's headed by one of his priests. Father Neri, I thought, was a pretty cool guy. Um, I think why I decided to put him in there was because um, I think a lot of times when we think of like the big institutions of religion, you know, And there's definitely a lot of negative connotations to that in our own world. And even in fantasy worlds, it's kind of been covered in um, the corruption that can occur and everything like that. But also there are those like individual local religious people that fervently believe in their God and, you know, are trying to just do what's good for people in their lives. And Father Neri is definitely an example of that. But I also wanted them to meet somebody else who was from a temple that like was seen as a usurper of their gods and be like oh this is a cool dude like maybe this isn't so comp. maybe this is more complicated maybe we shouldn't just talk about holy war <laughs> i don't know if that was wrong i felt like it added more nuance um in the game so yeah and then in the meanwhile uh, song reveals that when he disguises himself as a person he can speak um and steve and i kind of Talked about this and worked it out, and we figured out that like our, the arcane magic that is innate that he has learned, um, kind of helps him tamper back parts of the the curse. So he uh, he basically when he's in that human form, he's able to break it over for a little bit. Like, his magic is enough to overpower the effects of it, but only temporarily. It will come back. So it's a little bit better sweet. You know, he can disguise himself as a human to do business for a little bit, but he's only got so much time, you know. Only so many spell slots a day. He can't just do it all the time. Um, but yeah. And then uh, they go... And uh, the thing about Meyerfield was I had developed Fae in a bit, but Meyerfield like, was much easier, obviously, to make because it was smaller. But I just don't know how to measure distances. Um, and I actually learned a lot about, like, little hamlets. Uh, I would say Meyerfield is probably close, like, it's like a hamlet. It's sub a thousand people. Um, And there's a local, um, I don't remember if I called him a baron in this episode. Technically, he's an earl. I've kind of um, learned more about how nobility ranks and titles worked. Historically and tried to like Make them a more unified thing So he's he's called like Lord Rice Ares but he's also like um, He is technically An earl so if you're really Into nobility You can look up the differences But basically the cheaters code that I Found online was um, From beneath like King and queen it would be Do men Ever visit Boston And it's basically Duke, Marquis, Vice Count, and um, uh, Boston, (laughs) and Boston, no, (laughs) and Baron. Um, That's how I remember, like, the the succession order. And basically what that means for people who don't want to look it up is, like, the rank of how much land they would have and how much political say and how many, like, special privileges that they would have in the world, because um, the Meyer Empire is an empire, but because it's so big, um, most of the independent territories, like, they have some sort of fealty and tribute that they pay to the main center of the empire, which is more in the center of the continent, but otherwise, it's mostly ruled, like, day-to-day by, like, the great dukes of the region and a duchess in the case of Feiyan, so... You know, it's just, there's your, there's your economics lesson for the world of the Guardians of Hall. Don't ask me how trade exchange works. I don't know. We <laughs> have so much time. Um, but yeah, uh, the other thing I wanted to say about this episode was this was the first instance with the local townie where there is any sort of, like, overt, people don't really like the fae that much, um because in Fayen it is kind of the more multicultural city. Um so people they're used to the fae moving in, but the problem is like for the small townies, you know, they're they're from a it's a small provincial town, you know, like they're scared of the beast and what they can see as weird or unusual and other. So like the little the the wild and vivacious nature of the fae is just scary to them. And really That's just kind of how it is in real life. I mean, we make boogeymen out of people all the time that aren't scary because we just don't understand or don't know them. So, yeah. And I kind of had warned Aaron and Sam that they might experience some of this beforehand. And they kind of, you know, said they were okay with it. So I don't necessarily like having racism, like, or... Well, when I say racism, I don't mean it like a one-to-one real-world equivalency of racism, but, like, the illusion of it um, in my game, I I don't want to just have it there to just be dicks to players who, like, picked an unusual race. I, I want it to serve a narrative purpose, you know? And so I feel like the guy is obviously, like, a dick, but, you know, he kind of represents what some of the common beliefs of the town are. You know, like, a lot of people are used to these ideas. So, Old Man Jenkins is basically supposed to represent uh, that common boogeyman fear of what people uh, think the they are. Which, I feel like if any of you have, like, that one relative that, like you don't really want to hear what they have to say at thanksgiving or christmas when you're obligated to see them but if just there's there's a random side comment um and then they start ranting about like a certain group of people and you're just like oh god please stop please stop you don't even no you don't even make sense no like you're embarrassing no stop it Stop it. (laughs) That's kind of what old man Jenkins represents in my world. But yeah, Hans and Franz walked him home and poor Nora and Rowan are just like, oh, well that, uh." well, and the thing is too, is uh, Nora and Rowan are from a village that like, it has, their village has humans, elves, dwarves, goblins, like all sorts of crazy fae shit together so like they really haven't experienced this very much because they haven't been out in the world very much they are isolated so this is kind of their first interaction with somebody just hating them for no reason because they're a dickhead and they have dickhead opinions about the fae so yeah um I think it's important one thing that I have learned as a DM, but I've also been in games before where it wasn't really established beforehand. Like if you have a player that is going to play a race that in your game maybe is going to be treated differently or there's just certain social expectations of like what they're going to be viewed as. You should definitely talk about those things with players before the game start, because it might affect their enjoyment. Um, A good example of this, not in my own game, but in our uh, friend Ben's game. I believe he's on one of the uh, episodes of Talk Dungeon to me that is out. Um, We decided to all be monster races in his Pathfinder game. And he basically said, he was like, you realize that this is going to limit where you can go in society to some extent and you know not everyone is going to be nice for you, nice to you um, you might get charged extra for things or stuff like that and we're like okay yeah we're we're okay with that like we understand the, the limitations of this because in his world he's like you guys are what people are scared of so if a goblin a tiefling a fired genie lady a pixie and a, a kenku or a tengu as they are in pathfinder walk into a town uh, you're gonna get some odd looks if not chased out of town we're like okay I appreciate the heads up we're still gonna commit to this crazy idea um but yeah i i definitely let sam and aaron know that beforehand so that they could kind of give their player consent to it because sometimes like if you spring it on a a player like it it can have a fun dramatic effect but also like you want to be careful like i think uh, matt colville in one of his uh running the game series had an example of that where like dwarves kind of have a nasty reputation but And I don't think he, he told the player beforehand, like, no, that's not true. Like, so they kind of got this firsthand experience of like, oh, you're, you're, you're people like enslave other, other races. How could you, like, you're rude. And they're like, well, we don't do that. And there was a good, I guess it was a good moment, but I think I would be, uh. I'd be hesitant to do that with my players. I would want to give them a little bit of heads up beforehand, like that there might be that reaction. But if you have your players and you know they're going to be cool with it beforehand, then maybe you could surprise them with something like that. But it can affect enjoyment of the game. Um, Another thing that kind of ties into that, uh, there's... there's... <sighs> There's there is gender role things in my game like obviously like my players because we developed their societies they were allowed to make their societies more feminist and have women have like you know not the same restrictions that a lot of traditional um western culture has for women um and some other cultures in the world like it, it's more of like there's less sexism in their individual cultures. But that's not necessarily how it is for the dominant culture. But I don't necessarily want to just be a dick to my female (laughs) players. So I try to, like, give them heads up on things. But, like, not use it as, like, a, you know... Oh, you can't do that because you're a woman. Like, I don't... I find that is a tedious thing that I've seen in... And I've been in games where that is. And I find it incredibly annoying. Especially if I didn't know about it beforehand. Because I feel like if I make a character... That's female. Like I don't necessarily want to play D and D and experience the same sexism that like I might experience in real life. So if I'm not warned about it beforehand, and I build this character without a conceived notion of dealing with X, Y, or Z, uh, and then if it's sprung on me, like which I have happened, have I have had happened in games before with uh good DMs, and and a bad DM, and um. It can it can kind of make you a little bit like wait I didn't oh so what are my options now <laughs> like what are my how am I supposed to play this character like I didn't realize that this was a thing and if I would have known that this was a thing then it might have fed into this this or this so I think those things are kind of important to talk about with your players beforehand um and also as a DM like if you're gonna include it in your game it needs to have a point like you because it could very easily, if you're not careful, turn into anybody who is not a uh, acceptable race or like an the not default gender of male or female. If you're playing in a society with like the drow where they're traditionally like hate men, I guess. I don't know many people that have played a game like that, like uh, where you got to think about that beforehand you got to get your your players by it, otherwise like... It can lead to kind of some frustration, because it will feel like, oh, I really had this cool idea for a character, but the world just kind of doesn't take them seriously. And I feel like I never get to do anything cool like I'd hoped, because society hates them. And I get that might ha- that happens in real life. And I definitely think it's shitty in real life. Um, but in an RPG game where there needs to be a little bit of escapism for the players, like you kind of have to be mindful of that. Like You don't want to just throw in stuff to be like, aha it's exists because it's fantasy and historically it would have existed. Yeah, you can do whatever you want with fantasy. So if you're going to include it in your world, you got to do something with it. Like make it have a point and not just be to be there for realism or to make your players feel bad. So, yeah. Um that's my rant about something. I do that a lot. <laughs> So I'm going to actually go into one final thing in this episode as set up for the next episode. So when I originally was looking through the monster manual for like undead things for the players to fight, ghosts were too high of level. So Will- and Will-O-Wisps, Will- 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 I didn't like that they had like what I seemed as like an insta-kill function that made me very nervous. So I was like, okay, um, well, there's got to be more than one thing. There's gotta be multiple ghosts, so let's do specters. When I said I was gonna throw specters at my third level party, uh, three of them, my friend Dan, who is a DM and has been for a while, looked at me and said, you need to be careful because you could easily party wipe them. And I'm like, no, they'll be okay. One of them has a magic weapon and you know, uh, one of them has like spells and Josh has healing spells and he can have magical uh, damage with his sword. It'll be OK. And he's like, OK, OK, then you're probably going to be OK. Um, well, I in this episode should have made it more clear how many people died from, you know, the specter attacks, which really I said nobody had died, which I know I said that in this episode, but in between this episode and the next episode, I actually sat down and realized that, like, Spectres, like, if they touch one person and, like, just do minimum damage, they're probably going to be insta-dead, especially with their, like, con drain thing that they can do. So I was like, oh, some people probably have died from this. Um And I didn't really do as good of a job setting up the atmosphere of that where it's creepy. So, like, you know, when the twins are, like, going out to explore the town, maybe they would have done it. I don't know. But the two of them told me afterwards, like, well, we wouldn't have gone out by ourselves if we would have known people would have died. Because really, the way that the fight happened, because they were separated, it did lead to some more um, diciness next episode, which we'll get into. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Um, but yeah, I think we'll leave it there for now. I I will say that I probably misunderestimated like the specters and how deadly of a fight it was going to be. And I should have spent more time really thinking about this as a as a DM. like what would the impact of monsters like this showing up in just a port, like a small town be? Well, it would be pretty deadly. and there would probably have been a few people that died the first night that they showed up, if not like a couple like dozen. Um so yeah, I should have I should have thought about it beforehand and I should have like then acted up more ambiance of this creepiness, which I did do in the beginning of next episode, but that was too late because the Twins had already decided to go off and walk around alone in a haunted town because they didn't realize how dangerous it was. Um, and the other players didn't go look for them because they didn't realize how dangerous it was. So I do think that is some fair criticism on me where I did not communicate how bad these monsters were. And it's because I didn't know, because I don't like sitting around and just reading the monster manuals for lulls. So that's probably something I should work on as a DM. Um, but next episode, oh boy. Um. We're going to get into the Spectre fight. I'm going to listen to that episode again and um, recount how I almost killed one of my uh, player's characters and how I had a very existential crisis as a DM at that moment. Um, so yeah, tune in next time for that. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy, um, this series and you like Guardians of Fahal, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We do have a $1 tier a month, and if you guys could support us, that would mean a lot. We're basically all just a bunch of friends trying to do this as a side business, but grow it into more and hopefully share the love of tabletop RPGs and Dungeons and Dragons like, and get the hobby to grow more. So any money you throw away really helps. We could do a lot with it. Like we could potentially maybe get like another video editor and like try to just do more stuff. So otherwise, if you have questions about this episode, and you feel like I miss some stuff, or you want me to cover things in more detail, or just have questions about how I design Meyerfield and how I create towns, like, let me know. You can reach out to us on our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you could comment on our Patreon page. Uh, We post these episodes for free on there as well, so, you know, you can follow us there. So, otherwise, uh, we'll see you next time when I talk about the creepy specters in episode four, The Haunting of Meyerfield, part one. Spooky. All right. Later.